Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where from beginning to end, it is just Jesus. Nothing more and nothing less. Good morning. You made it on a rainy Sunday. I want to say uh, welcome, Wes. Thank you for your leadership, Daniel and Missy. Um, what a what a day to be standing in and giving worship and praise to God. Um, I am in Acts chapter eight. Uh, if you've got a Bible, flip there. Um, if you're scrolling on your phone, then open up to the U version app or maybe Bible Gateway. I really like both of those. Um, we are sort of going through uh, the book of Acts, and we are, we are entering a like really challenging passage. Can you imagine that? One of the great things about uh, sort of preaching exegetically through the Bible is you come across these enormously challenging passages. One of the terrible things is you come across these enormously challenging passages. So we're not going to shy away from it. We're going to jump into it. Um, but, but let me just sort of kind of, I guess, paint an initial um, picture here. As we enter into Acts 8 with this brand new sort of fledgling infant church, um, if you will, we just went through Stephen the martyr. We're now entering into sort of the realm of Saul the persecutor. They're going to take a look at Philip, uh, the deacon or the evangelist. We're going to see him today. He is not one of the 12 apostles. He's actually um, one of the seven deacons. Um, we're going to look at Simon, the deceiving sorcerer today. Whew. We're going to look at uh, the Ethiopian truth seeker next week. Um, and, and what's fascinating, I think, to me is you have three Jews here, a Samaritan and then an Ethiopian. And the reason I think that's important is you, you are watching God transition the New Testament church from three Jews, which is he was the Jew, Jesus was and is the Jewish Messiah. And he's transitioning from three Jews to a Samaritan, which is a half Jew, all the way to Gentiles, which are non-Jews. And you get to see this sort of bridge of God making and helping the New Testament church make the transition um, from being uh, Jesus as the Savior or the Jewish Messiah to actually the Savior of the world. So we're sort of opening up this um, transition. And what I love here that Dr. Luke, who wrote this book, is he gets into the nitty-gritty of people's individual lives. So like um, if, we were, if this was modern-day church, what this would be is it would be like a video roll. Where's our screen today? Here it is. It'd be like a video roll of testimonies. Okay, that's kind of what you're entering into. Like, here's the testimony of several different people from the New Testament church. But what uh, I think comes to surface here that makes this such a challenging passage is we're really going to have to look at the kingdom of darkness. Okay? So, here's what I want you to sort of um, perhaps open up this morning and if you're new here, um, you might just need to hang on. If you're online for the first time, I'd encourage you just to hang on. Um, but there is uh, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, and there is a kingdom of darkness. Now, the kingdom of darkness is not equal and opposite to the kingdom of light, as most like um, kids' cartoon movies or Disney movies would have us believe. That is not the case. Um, the kingdom of God is preeminent. It has already defeated the kingdom of darkness. But there is a very real kingdom of darkness. Okay? All right, I'm going to start with a C.S. Lewis quote because I think it's powerful. C.S. Lewis, um, in his book, uh, The Screwtape Letters, anybody read that? Look at you. Way to go, guys. Okay. 
Um, well done. So the screw tape letters, he wrote it in 1942, but in the preface, here's what he said. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. There are two equal and opposite errors that we can fall into. To totally deny that a kingdom of darkness, that Satan and that his fallen angels exist, or to have um, an unreasonable fascination with them. Okay? So we're going to attempt to sort of walk down that road. All right? Buckle your seatbelt. Here we go. Okay, um, let me, before we open this, um, I want to I disclose or sort of share something out of my personal journey, and if I do this right, we'll bring it all the way back around to this at the end. Um, in my personal journey, um, I have learned that I am most um, full of the person of Jesus. I experience the greatest victory in my, whether it's my personal heart and life, my thinking life, my relational life, my marriage, our kids, our family, if I am up early and I'm into um, some time with Jesus. It's a relational time. Um, I tend, uh, I've probably for seven or eight years, I've been reading the one-year Bible. Some of you might be in that with us. It's, if you're not, there's one out there on the, on the welcome table that you can grab. We give them away. Um, but I get into a one-year Bible, and I just read. And here's what I do, is I'm convinced that if I can still my heart and mind and stop thinking emails and scrolling and social media and news and what needs to be done and blah, 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 if all that can sort of be set aside and I can dig into the one-year Bible, I will almost always sense and hear the person of God speak to me. Almost always. It's often not what I want him to speak to me about. Because he's God and I'm not. The other thing that I do is I have a five-year journal, um, and I'm on my second five-year journal, so I can actually open both of them, and I can look through uh, April 30th. I can look through all the April 30ths and see where I was. It's fascinating. And in that, I'm making notes about what I feel like that God's speaking to me, books I'm reading, things that he's doing in our marriage or our life, things that I'm struggling with, prayers that I'm asking for. So I am in this. It's a, it's a relational time. Uh, the other thing that I'll do in my morning rhythm and times is I will spend some time worshiping. Just in gratitude, just worshiping. Sometimes that'll be music. Sometimes that'll just be, God, I worship you. God, I praise you. God, I thank you. The other thing that I do is I've got a set of morning declarations. And I don't read these every day, but I read them a lot of days. And my morning declarations are all scriptural-based and relationship with Jesus oriented, and all of them uh, serve to remind me about who I am in Christ. You know what I'm saying? Uh, what's really interesting, one of the things I've learned is if you operate and live from a place of identity, then you're not so much worried about um, what you're going to say or do or not say or not do because it comes out of your being. So in other words, one of our kids does something and I'm not going to just go off the handle and yell at them uh, because one of my morning declarations is I love my wife, I love my kids, and each day I'm going to get up and lay down my life for them. So out of that identity comes, okay, I'm going to now discipline and love and set appropriate boundaries and not just react out of my own fleshly or negative sinful reaction. Does that make sense? 
Okay, so that's kind of what my morning uh, looks like, <clears throat> and I rarely miss that because that's like the source of peace and power and hope and joy and everything in Michael's life. Does Michael do those things to get saved? No, and that's very important. Why do I do that? To experience deep abiding relationship with Jesus and to experience like the victory of Christ in my life day by day, moment by moment. See that delineation? I'm not working for, I'm not doing those things to please God or to work for my salvation. It's just part of the transformative journey of relationship with him. It's really more out of delight than it is out of duty. Make sense? Okay. So, uh, here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit a couple of verses. You don't need to turn here. I just want to set the table with them because you've got to interpret the Bible with the Bible. Galatians 5, verse 1. This is uh, the great Saul that we're reading about, actually, this morning. Um, he's writing under the name Paul in Galatians 5, and it's, he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Do you think God wants you free? Yes. I'm going to flip to John 8. You don't have to go here. You can just kind of let me dance through if you don't mind. John 8, verses 32 and 33. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay, so Jesus wants us to experience freedom. Um, if, we, if I flipped to, you don't have to go here, but Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, that's where Jesus teaches us to pray. It's the Lord's Prayer. And at the very end of that, in verse 13, he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I think that is the most accurate translation. Some translations actually say deliver us from evil, but I think evil is a person. Evil has a personality. His name's Satan, and he's got a horde of dark angels. And I could take you through that theologically, but I'm not going to do that this morning. But the question then that I'm sort of teeing up for us is how, if, if, if we want to live our lives fully engaged in the kingdom of God, then we have to begin to acknowledge and recognize that there is a kingdom of darkness, and we have to begin to sort of uh, almost cut some lines or, or uh, operate under some revelation, because there's moments that we as humans, now we're saints if we're in Jesus and Jesus is in you. You're a saint, but we have the capacity to sin. So there's moments where we can step into either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. Okay? Make sense? All right. So <clears throat> let me read two more before I open up Acts 8. Colossians 1, 12 and 13. You don't need to, to flip here. But here's also Paul writing, and he says, For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Dominion of darkness, kingdom of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so back to Acts 8. Here we go. We're digging in. Let's start reading and see what emerges here. Because there's something very powerful, I think, if we can get our hands and our hearts around this. Not that we want to spend an inordinate amount of time studying the kingdom of darkness, but we want to learn to acknowledge it, see it, and then step into and live from the kingdom of light or the kingdom of God. Okay, 
So, <clears throat> Acts 8, verse 1. And Saul, now that's Saul the who? The Pharisee, that's Saul the Pharisee, um, who's going to be transformed and saved, and he's going to become known as Paul the Apostle. But Saul approved of their killing him. Who's him? Stephen, that's right. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Does that seem like good news or bad news to you? Might seem like bad news, but it's actually good news. God's unfolding his plan to reach and, and impact the entire known world. Um, but much just like our lives today, some negative-seeming things can happen, and if you'll surrender them to him, he'll use them both for your good and his glory. It's how you step into this sort of kingdom of God that I'm talking about here. All right, verse 2. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Now, if you want to circle right there, mourned deeply, that uh, in the King James Version, that says great lamentation. And I want to point out something here, because at the beginning of 8, verse 1, you have great persecution. In verse 2, you have great lamentation. Um, at the end, or in verse 4, you actually have great um, evangelism happening. Then down in verse 7, you're about to see great freedom and then great joy. And I, I really, like, I want you to grab something here. The purpose of the gospel, the purpose of the kingdom of God, the purpose of Jesus is actually to lead us as his people into great freedom and great joy. But oftentimes, the road down which we have to walk or he allows us to walk in order to find that great freedom and great joy is great persecution, great lamentation, um, as we are finding sort of great freedom and great joy. Okay, let's keep going. Um, verse 3, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. Okay, I don't want to spend a ton of time here but because I, I, we're going to deal with Saul in the next few weeks. But I do want you to know that in the Greek, this denotes like a wild animal tearing somebody apart. That's the, that's the idea here. He is like ravenous. And we're going to talk about some things about him in the next uh, couple of weeks. Okay, so he's going from house to house, dragging off both men and women, and he's putting them in prison. Okay, verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Good or bad? I mean, amazing. So even what I would want you to see is you have this little infant sort of church. And I think in this, um, in this kind of infant, infant church, they have zero concept of world missions at this point. Right? But the Lord um, slowly and silently and even subtly moves them into world missions by allowing persecution to happen and allowing them to be scattered. It's amazing. Okay, verse 5. Philip, now this is not Philip the apostle. This is Philip, one of the deacons. Uh, Philip uh, went down to a city in Samaria. And I'm not going to dig fully into this. We'll talk about it in maybe next week. But Samaria, Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were half Jewish people. Therefore, the Jewish people rejected them. And there's a lot of animosity and hatred between the two. So Philip goes down to a city in Samaria. Now, to the Jewish Christians at this moment, is uh, Christianity, which it's just starting, it's going to be called in a few chapters, but is this Jesus for non-Jewish people? Not yet. Not yet. 
So it's really Christianity in, in everyone's mind, even Jewish Christians at this point. It's like this, it's for them. They're God's chosen people. And all of a sudden you get this young guy named Philip who becomes an architect of the New Testament um, church. And he is driven through persecution down to Samaria. And he just goes proclaiming Jesus. And what happens? Verse 6. The crowds heard Philip and they saw the signs he performed. They all paid close attention to what he said. Verse 7, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many. Here's where we get into what? Kingdom of darkness. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I'm really not trying to make you uncomfortable. You don't need to live here, but I do think you need to have a healthy respect and understanding that there's a kingdom of darkness. Uh, evil spirits, that's fallen angels. We could do an Old Testament study in May at some point, but we're not, we're not going to um, go there. But, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Okay, verse 8. So there was great joy in the city. So has Jesus come to Samaria? Yes. Not only has he come, but he's come powerfully. Okay. Now, let's open up here. Simon uh, the sorcerer is what my Bible now says in verse 9. All right. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery. What's that? Witchcraft, some type of magic. Okay. In the city... And he amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and ex exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. Did he have an ego problem? <laughs> okay. All right, let me pause here because there's like seven um, heart postures that we're going to try to mine out of this, both with Saul um, and with Simon. But uh, you've got to understand something that all the heart postures are sort of um, sourced in. Here they are. You, you get this a lot as you listen to me. Um, but your identity in Christ, so who God created you to be, is so infinitely important. And if we as New Testament believers don't get our identity in Christ, we're going to be double-minded and end up inadvertently living in the kingdom of darkness. Okay? So what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. You as a believer have been given, if you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you, you've been given all authority and all power on heaven and earth. Jesus said it in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. All, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. I've given it to you. You go and you make disciples. Um, you, 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 to live in sort of this full identity of who we are as New Testament believers, you've got to live out of a revelation of the finished work of the cross of Christ. In other words, he has overcome everything in your life and mine already. It's been done. It is finished. That's what he said on the cross when he died. It is finished. It's the finished work of the cross. He rose again. You have to um, live, and, and in order to fully grasp the kingdom of God and live in the kingdom of God, I think you've got to sort of appropriate and live from a place of freedom in Christ Jesus. You may even, um, as we wrestle with the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, you may have an identity problem or a self-image problem. And we'll open that a little bit further as we take this journey this morning. But if you're living from your negative self-talk or from your insecurity or from your self-hatred or your self-loathing or whatever, are you living in the kingdom of God? No. So you're opening the door to the kingdom of darkness. Okay, hold on with that because there's something powerful there. 
<clears throat> and then you have to sort of, I think the final thing that we would have to go into this with is God, if he wants us to live in freedom, if he wants us to live in joy, if he wants us to live in peace and hope, then we have to have an accurate view of who God is. You know what I'm saying? So we can translate the circumstances of our lives, the, thing we, the things we go through accurately. Okay, so let's take a look at a couple of these heart postures that I think either open the door to the kingdom of God in our lives or they open the door to the kingdom of darkness. All right, we're going to keep reading and we're going to see him, the first one show up in verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city, and he amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the power of God. The first thing that I want you to see, I want you to grasp and even lock it in, is there is an active thing in your heart and mine, because we are created in the image of God, that if you grasp for pride, if you grasp for position, if you're going to boast, if you're going to try to self elevate, which you've got two people now here who are self-elevating. The first one is Saul. Saul's running around killing and, and putting New Testament Christians in prison. The second one is Simon the sorcerer. And you can either choose humility, which is going to open up the door to the kingdom of God, or you can choose pride, which is going to open up the door to the kingdom of darkness. Now, this is like, this is a hard um, probably thing to fully understand. And by humility, I'm not suggesting that you need to be a doormat or you need to be disrespected or you shouldn't have good boundaries in your marriage or at work or with your kids or you shouldn't discipline kids. I'm not suggesting any of those things, but I'm suggesting an internal humble heart posture where you go, I cannot, but Jesus can in me and through me. Okay? So in any given situation, no matter what happens in your life, if your first number one response is, oh, I got this, what do you got? Pride and kingdom of darkness. If your number one response, like I love Moses in the Old Testament on this, no matter what happened with the people, his number one response is to lay on his face. That's why it says Moses is the most humble man on the face of the earth. Why? He led with such confidence. He led with such boldness. He overthrew the most powerful country on earth, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. How could they say he was the most humble man on the face of the earth? Because the internal heart posture before God was one of total humility and contrition. God, I can't, but I know that you can. Okay? So there's this self sort of elevation. And we see Simon here. He's a sorcerer, so he's practicing some sort of magic. And he goes around boasting, I'm someone great. Preachers fall into this all the time. People that are powerful fall into this all the time. Like, I don't know that oftentimes great people even set out to, but inadvertently, you kind of, um, you probably, this is a little um, off the cuff or something, but you kind of drink your own Kool-Aid. You start thinking, I'm somebody special. And I would say, whether you're in a marriage, at work, wherever you are, when you begin to think that in and of yourself you are someone great, Apart from the kingdom of God, you're in trouble. Now, when you can walk in the identity that because I am created in the image of God, because Jesus lives in me and through me, I am created in his image. I am a son or a daughter. I am an heir. I'm, I'm an heir of every blessing in the heavenly realms. I am a saint because he has made me new in Christ Jesus. Then all of a sudden, your identity and your strength comes from God or Jesus or the kingdom of God, um, and you are now rejecting the kingdom of darkness. It's really subtle. And what's, what's interesting is you can actually live or act or even say similar things sourced in two different things. And how do you know? 
That's a little scary. How do you know? Paul actually wrote in one passage, I don't even judge my own heart. I trust the Holy Spirit to do it. I don't know, church, that you can. I think you have to go, Father, would you convict me? And I'm learning at 42 years old, probably finally and slowly, that when something happens, maybe between Abby and I or at work or at church or with someone somewhere, I am learning to go, Father, would you sift my heart? Would you search me and know me? Would you convict me? Would you help me through this place? Because if I lean on my own understanding, I am accessing or or sort of choosing or posturing myself to be submitted to the kingdom of darkness. Okay. Both Simon um, and Saul have opened the door to the kingdom of darkness in their own life because of their pride. If you want to close the door to the kingdom of darkness, keep it closed. Open the door to the kingdom of light. Open the door to the kingdom of God. It requires a humility before him. Okay, simple enough. Let's keep going. The other thing that I think emerges here from verse 10, I want to read it again. Um, He boasted that he was someone great. Verse 10, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the power of God. Verse 11, they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. So he's doing sort of something like signs and wonders. He has to be, right? Verse 12, but when they believed Philip. Now, remind us, who's Philip? He's the deacon. He's been uh, scattered because of the persecution. Where he's been scattered, he preach Jesus. Where he's preaching Jesus, people are getting saved. People are being set free. The enemy is being driven out of people. So Philip shows up in Samaria, uh, verse 12, and when they believed, who's they? The townspeople, the Samaritans, they're gathering around him. These huge throngs of people are gathering around Philip, this young guy. They're choosing to believe him as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Okay. They were then baptized, both men and women. Okay. So you have like Philip who, like you got to get this and this is so cool and powerful. Did Philip set out on a missionary journey? No. Philip was like scattered. So was Philip sent by humans? No. Philip encountered persecution and probably fear. And he's a young guy just like Stephen. Stephen was one of the seven. Stephen was his buddy. And what just happened to Stephen? Stephen died. And so what's Philip doing? Yeah, I'm scared. And as he's running, he's starting to slow down and he's beginning to tell people about Jesus. And as he tells people about Jesus, what's amazing is the power of the Holy Spirit comes on them and comes on him and signs and wonders begin to happen. And all of a sudden things are breaking out and you have people coming to Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to remind you, did Jesus in his ministry go through Samaria? Yes, yes, I'm not going to fully deviate there, but Jesus had already passed through. This is the woman at the well who came to Christ. She led her whole village um, to Christ. So there's this precedence already for the kingdom of God being at work in Samaria. Okay, verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 13, this is very interesting. Simon himself believed and was baptized. The question that we already ought to be asking ourselves is, is this genuine? Is this genuine? Scary question. 
And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So he saw, in some ways, somebody who was greater than him. He's like, wow, that guy's really doing it. And he's actually not going around boasting that he's someone great. But he's doing all these huge signs and wonders. And so Philip's like following along. uh, Excuse me, Simon's following along, watching everything that Philip is doing. And it says Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Okay, so we talked about pride versus humility. Uh, Humility becomes the door to the kingdom. Pride becomes a doorway um, to the kingdom of darkness. The second thing I want to talk about or open up is um, this idea or heart posture of counterfeit versus real. Okay, what do I mean by that? Um, Saul, the great persecutor, is he operating out of real God-centered, Jesus-filled power? Or is he operating out of um, counterfeit power? Counterfeit power. Okay. So you have Saul who is operating out of a counterfeit sort of power and authority. He's going around persecuting Christians, dragging them into, throwing them in jail, um, killing them in some cases. Then you enter into Simon. Now, does Simon have real power? Apparently. People are following him. Is it, uh, is it a counterfeit power or is it a real power in Jesus? It's counterfeit. Now, this is like another hard concept. It's like, oh my goodness. Would anyone care to make a counterfeit $100 bill if there's not a real one? Like, think on that just a second. If you were going to come after church and we were going to go print a bunch of $100 bills, would it make any difference if there wasn't a real one? It would mean nothing. We'd be like printing a kid's coloring book or something. You hear me? So the only reason that you make a counterfeit is to imitate the real thing. Satan is the father of lies. He's the lord of darkness, and he is imitating the real thing. And in so much as imitating the real thing, he is trying to seduce and deceive people to live in a counterfeit power. Has Simon been seduced? Yes. Has Paul been, excuse me, Saul at this point, been seduced? Yes, what's fascinating is Saul is doing everything sort of right in the eyes of the the Jewish leaders and so-called church of the day. Um, Simon perhaps is doing everything wrong, but both of them are functioning from the power of the kingdom of darkness. It's like, oh my gosh, Lord help us. Okay, so you, you get this idea of counterfeit versus real, and I would say just very simply, anything in your life that becomes the source of life, hope, direction, guidance, supernatural revelation, other than the kingdom of God, the person of Jesus is sourced in darkness. It's counterfeit. So you might sit out there practically and go, well, gosh, I'd love to read my horoscope. I'd say, you need to close that door. Stop. I mean, really, that, that is, it's a counterfeit You need revelation from God. You need an intimate connection with God. You need to hear from God. And if you are going to another place, another source to find relationship and peace with God, you've now entered the kingdom of darkness. Okay. Second thing that I want to point out here is this, an idea of deception versus truth. Is Simon deceived? Yeah, absolutely. Is even Saul deceived? Yes, and here's one of the challenging things at church we got to hear and understand. People don't get up generally in the morning and decide, I'm going to go deceive a whole bunch of people. But here's what they do. They deceive themselves 
over time and out of their self-deception or out of the deception of the kingdom of darkness, they begin to lie to or deceive other people. Does that make sense? I heard an um, interview with Tiger Woods a number of years ago, and it was fascinating because a reporter, when all the mess came out about Tiger Woods, um, but the reporter said, how did you lie to so many people about so much for so long? And he looked back at him and he said, I got up every day and lied to myself first. Is Simon here deceived? Yes, is the apostle, excuse me, not the apostle, is Saul, the Pharisee, deceived? Yes. Okay, so you have this, um, this tension, this heart posture of deception versus truth. Now let me open this a, another even layer here. My job as a pastor is not to tell you what to think. My job as a pastor is not to tell you what to do. Um, in fact, I would say that my job is to help facilitate the formation of Jesus in you so that when you're put in a situation, you can go to the source and figure out what to think and do. You hear me? And there's this like real, there's, a, there's this like thing, that, and we've even crossed it in our American version of Christianity at points where you come to the high holy guy and he's going to tell you, or gal, and he's gonna, they're going to tell you what to think or what to do. No, 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 no. I'm not here to tell you what to think or what to do. I'm actually, and if you look at the Apostle Paul, if you look at King Jesus in the New Testament, what they are always doing is helping you learn how to think. Not what to do, go do this, you know, do these three things and you'll be, no, 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 no. Learning how to think, how to abide in relationship with the king, how to um, journey in vibrant, authentic relationship with him. And then when you get in a situation where you don't know what to do, guess what? You have the source that you can go to and get the answer. You hear me? So what we're even doing as a church, everything is formed around and is, is, is about helping move you into the deep formation of Christ Jesus inside of you. Not dependence on Michael or Daniel or somebody else, but rather dependence on um, your relationship with King Jesus. Okay. Let me, let me say a couple things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up your hair a minute, okay? If you don't have hair, that's fine. I was, just, I was just sort of thinking. Let me throw out, because we're talking deception versus truth. Is Simon deceived? Yes. Okay. What if I got up here and I said, <clears throat> I want you to live as if it matters what people think of you. Some of you would go, right now you're going. You're, you're discerning. What are you doing? You're discerning deception from truth. I want you to live as if the outcome of your life is all on your shoulders and you can control all of it. Deception or truth? Okay, y'all, we're getting it. Okay. I want you to live as if aging is something to worry about and that you can control. That was easy for some of y'all. <laughs> but here's the thing. The, the deception of the enemy is subtle. I actually spent seven years of my life fully deceived by the enemy, like in deep, significant bondage because of the deception. I want you to live as if satisfying your desires and appetites is central to your well-being. Yeah? Deception or truth? Okay, come on. You're, okay. <clears throat> I want you to live fast and hurried. I want you to live driven, productive lives. But you hear how it's starting to sound good? 
Now listen to me. There is something, and I can't, like, there is something powerful when you can begin to recognize that the enemy comes to steal and to deceive you. And if you get tripped up into it, like Simon, like Saul, you can end up inadvertently living out of the kingdom of darkness instead of living in the kingdom of light. Let's keep going. I'm in verse... uh, 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Um, in Matthew 7, I actually don't even have this marked, but I want to I just take a quick look at it. It's going to help you. Matthew 7, verse 21 and 23. I have it marked in my Bible. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform any miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Hold that. Let's keep going. Verse 14, back in Acts 8. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. All right, so we're the apostles. These are the 12 apostles in Jerusalem. They hear, what are they hearing? There's like a revival breaking out. People are coming to Jesus. People are getting saved. People are being healed. The, the, the demonic is like leaving people. Like what? So they send who? Peter and John. Who was closest to Jesus? John and arguably Peter, Peter, James, and John. So they send the ones closest to Jesus, or to Jesus down to Samaria to try to help navigate this thing. Now, what's interesting is I'm not, I'm not going to go there, but if you look at John, the last time that in the Bible that he was in Samaria, he got angry at the Samaritans and he looked at Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, can I call down fire on them and destroy them? That's why he was called a son of thunder. So now Jesus has sent John where? Back to, and I can only imagine God's sense of humor in this moment where he's like, hey, John, now I want you to go down and love on them and set up the church in Samaria. You rascal, not call down fire on them. All right, verse 15. When they arrived, Peter and John, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them and they simply had been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. There's some stuff there I'm not going to fully open up. But verse 17, then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Who's they? The whole town, the Samaritans, everyone is coming to Jesus. Now remember, these are half Jewish people. So God is slowly transitioning the church in Jerusalem to being this world missionary-like sending kind of thing. Verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Here we go, verse 19. And he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. I think he betrays how he probably got all of his little sorcery tricks. Right there. Verse 20, let's look at what Peter says. Peter answered, I want you to remember Peter is the same guy that Jesus looked at at one point and said, Satan, get behind me. Verse 20, Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and a captive to sin. Can you imagine? 
he probably said this in a public gathering of people like we're in right now. Somebody came up and Peter just, <sighs> I wonder how many people left the church that day. <sighs> then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me that nothing you have said may happen to me. I think what I'd point out there to you is he doesn't have any desire to be in relationship with God. He seems to simply want to use God. He, wants to, he doesn't want to fall under God's judgment. He doesn't want to be connected to God. Verse 25, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Okay, here's the deal. The next thing that I think you begin to see here is this idea um, of rebellion um, versus submission. I, I mean, I realize there's some of this that's a little bit hard this morning. So I'm, I'm saying to you, if you as a human engage in pride, you're going, to, you're going to inadvertently wind up living from the kingdom of darkness. If you as a human inadvertently engage in counterfeit instead of going to the source, you're going to end up living from the kingdom of darkness. If you as a person end up living from a place of deception rather than going to God for the truth, you're going to end up living from darkness. Now, if you're living from a place of rebellion versus a place of submission. So in other words, what do I mean by that? Simon here wants what he wants when he wants it in the way that he wants it. He wants to be in control of God. Give me this. Let me pay you some money for it so that I can go around and lay my hands on people and I don't want to be subject to the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit subject to me, very dangerous. So there's this um, arrogance and attitude of the heart that begins to be revealed. And if I took you through church history, which I'm not going to, but if I took you through it this morning, church history essentially says that Simon never truly came to Jesus. He was a false convert. It was all a big lie. And he was, he was against um, the church of Christ Jesus in Samaria and against John and against Peter throughout church history as long as he lived. Okay, now here's the question. What was it that was in Simon that allowed him or caused him to live in rebellion versus submission? What do I mean by that? I want to control the Holy Spirit. I want to control God versus I want God to control me. So now let me tweak this and make like a, a try to make a current um, uh, application here. When I am always saying to God, hey, God, I'm doing this. Will you bless me? Hey, God, I'm going here. Will you bless me? Hey, God, I'm doing what? What am I asking? Come on. I am asking God to bless my agenda and my thing as opposed to saying, God, I think I'm heading over there. Would you help me and guide me and direct me and shut the door if it's not you? You see the difference? There's a heart posture difference here um, of rebellion versus submission. Is Simon submitted to the lordship of King Jesus? No. Is he uh, running his own sort of rebellious play? Absolutely. And he wants to use and he wants to be a broker of the Holy Spirit power. And he wants to direct. He thinks, I'm going to be able to direct and control what the Holy Spirit of God does. And Peter answers, think again. No way. The other thing that I would want you to see here, probably coming out of verse 23, is where Peter says, for I see that you're full of bitterness and you're captive to sin. There is this idea that you can choose bondage. In other words, he's looking at Simon and he's saying you're full of bitterness, you're captive to sin. He is living out of this place of bondage as opposed to living out of freedom in Christ Jesus. 
And then he even deals with uh, forgiveness and with bitterness. A couple weeks ago, I talked about the blood of the martyrs being the seed of the church. We talked about unpacking forgiveness, if you want to go back and listen to it. But what I would even see that Peter is saying here is if you're going to live um, in bitterness and unforgiveness, you're giving access to the kingdom of darkness. It's sobering. Now... Let me see if I can bring this um, all the way back around, because some of you may be sitting here and you're going, okay, you've told us a lot of stuff, but this is a little bit scary. If the kingdom of darkness is real, I don't want to live from that place. I want to live from the kingdom of God. So let's go back. Let's read our C.S. Lewis quote. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, the human race, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest. Okay. Now, this is the central point this morning. Your greatest weapon against the enemy. Your greatest weapon as a Christian against the domain of darkness in your life at every level is intimacy with the Lord Jesus. Period. Period. Remember how I started this? Let me tell you about my morning intimacy with Jesus. Let me tell you about my morning rhythm. Let me tell you how I get up in the morning because I go in and stumble into the kitchen and make a little bit of coffee and I open my Bible and I go, Lord Jesus, would you speak to me? Lord Jesus, would you change me? Lord Jesus, would you heal me? Lord Jesus, would you show me? Lord Jesus, would you? And then I begin to journal, and I'm reading my one-year Bible, and I put on a little bit of worship, and maybe I have another book I'm reading, but it's all oriented around, Father, would you transform Michael, and would you form Jesus fully in Michael, and then I pray that as you're forming Jesus fully in me, that I can become a minister of your grace and hope and truth and peace everywhere I go, and access the kingdom of God, right? So there's, um, there is something powerful here. Your greatest weapon against the kingdom of darkness, your greatest weapon against the domain of darkness is your intimacy with Jesus. I want you to consider three things. John 8, 28, Jesus, said, I, Jesus says, I only say what the Father has instructed me to say. John 5, 19, Jesus says, the, I only do what I see the Father doing. John 5.30, I do not live to please myself, but rather to please the one who sent me. Is Jesus living intimate with Yahweh God? Yes. Does he become our roadmap? Yes. Back to this starting place. If we consider the life and the ministry of Jesus, his source of power is intimate connection with God the Father, the kingdom of God. And I would say to us this morning that your spiritual authority and my spiritual authority over the kingdom of darkness is in direct proportion with our spiritual intimacy with Jesus. Our power is sourced in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Our authority and our freedom comes from abiding in the person of Jesus. How do you conquer the kingdom of darkness in your life? And is it going to show up in your life? Yes. How do you conquer it? Abiding in the person of Jesus, practicing the presence of God, cultivating a heart of intimacy, cultivating a heart of humility, cultivating a heart of surrender, cultivating a heart that accepts truth and rejects deception, cultivating a heart that rejects rebellion and instead submits to the person of, of Jesus, cultivating a heart that walks from bitterness and unforgiveness into freedom. 
How do you reject the kingdom of, God, uh, kingdom of darkness? How do you make sure you don't fall into the kingdom of darkness? You cultivate a humble heart posture before him and you cultivate a relationship with Jesus. And when you do that, the enemy cannot stand there. Make sense? That's it. Father, I pray that you would raise us up with all authority in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that you would equip us as your church to tread on all things evil and the plans of the evil one. Father, I pray that you would allow us as your church to access the kingdom of God more fully, abiding in your presence, knowing your voice, responding to your leadership. Father, would you allow us as a church to be a people to cultivate the full formation of King Jesus within each of us. And Father, I pray that our Sunday experience would be the overflow of hearts set on fire with the power of the Spirit. Father, I pray that you would fill us this morning. I pray that you would form us this morning. I pray that you would speak to us this morning. And I pray that you would send us out in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you and we worship you and we praise you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As you go, go under the revelation that the King of kings and Lord of lords lives in you if you're in Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.